Yeah, and that'd be annoying. Uh, maybe. <laughs> or amazing. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Wednesday, June 26th. My name is Ben Orenson. I'm here today with Cameron Mall. Hey, Cameron, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for having me. So you are you're a lot of things. You are a designer. You're a speaker. You are the founder of Authentic Jobs. Uh, you run your own podcast. Uh, you're doing a lot of things these days. I don't know if I'm unique in that respect, though. I mean, who doesn't do a lot of things these days? I guess that's fair. I mean, like, seriously. Yeah. seems like everybody has multiple things going on, right? Whether it be podcast or running a business or being part of a business or you name it or doing something on the side. Who doesn't do that? Yeah, I guess that's true. And that's, I think I'm kind of glad for that, at least for me. Like, it, it keeps my attention more. Like, I'm a programmer, but I also do this podcast on the side. Oh, like, sure. it's, it's, it's great to have something that's different than my normal day-to-day that I work on still uh, at work. Well, I think all of us are always chasing, like, uh, ways to be expressive and, and to exercise creativity, right? I think that's why we have so many things going on, because we're always chasing after things that allow us to do that. Mm, totally. So, it's, can you give us a sense of what your average day looks like? How do you split up your time between these things that you're doing? Yeah, so 90 to 95% of what I do is running authentic jobs. So that really is uh, okay. the core of what I do on a daily basis. Everything else, such as uh, writing, uh, the letterpress posters that I do, and you name it. I mean, all of that comes, I wouldn't say after hours, but it's usually outside of trying to run a business, which entails, as you know, lots of different things. And so my day-to-day during that 90 to 95% is everything from you know, being the, the founder of this business and, and strategizing things for the future of the business to doing customer support. We do all of that ourselves. Uh, uh, looking at new features, bugs, you name it. I mean, it, we have two full-time guys and a few part-time contractors. And because of that, there's just a lot of hats you have to wear. Yeah, totally. So how do you start a job site? Do you, did you start with a sort of an existing audience who knew you and you were able to sort of drive them to this site initially? Well, I don't, you know, that's a great question. I don't know that I, I ever started a job site per se. I mean, it was more companies reaching out to me back when I was blogging a lot more than I do or a lot more than any of us do these days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people knew I was well-respected as a designer at that time. And they said, hey, Cameron, we've got this position open. Can you, you know, are you interested in it, first of all? And if not, can you point us to someone who might be? And Uh, I guess I was doing a favor to them by saying, you know what, I'll put something in the sidebar on my site saying, so-and-so is looking for a designer, contact them at this address. And and those picked up over time. And I was doing these manually in movable type, which was the software I was using back then. And got to a point where to continue doing it, I had to find a way to monetize it or at least automate it. And, And from there, it started becoming a business. But I didn't start out as saying, I'm going to make money with this thing and i'm going to make a business out of this thing it's amazing how often successful businesses are started in that way yeah it's like i kind of had to do this because i was doing it anyway and it just became too annoying to not do it as a business right yeah i think there are businesses that we intentionally start right i mean things that we pursue and and make happen but there are other things that just grow out out of a need or sometimes out of a nuisance out of a burden totally and uh, i really enjoyed being able to do this in kind of a pro bono way for companies that were trying to find people and, and helping connect people through my site, but it it did at times become a burden to the other things that I had to be doing to pay the the bills. And so it was, it was largely a favor that I was doing and also in part a nuisance. And I think because of those two things, it led to it becoming something that became automated and out of that, it became a business. I wonder if that's, 
um, a commonality of most job sites, really, because I feel like the the value proposition of the job site is like I'm able to bring a lot of eyeballs to your job posting, right. and if you can't do that, it's kind of worthless. Yeah, it, it we, seemed, go ahead. No, I was just going to say we have two customers, right? We have paying customers, the employers who post the listings, but then we have our non-paying customers, the users, the candidates. And so you're right. If we can't attract both of those audiences, one, we can't make money, and two, we can't fill those positions that get posted by people paying us. And so you're absolutely right. You've got to attract the eyeballs in addition to attracting the people that are actually paying for those listings. Yeah, and it, it, but it, it seems like that kind of business in particular makes more sense to grow organically because if, if you were starting from zero and no one knew who right. you were and it's like, what are you offering for the first you know year and a half where no one knows about you? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about that before, what it would be like to start Authentic Jobs over again. Mm. And I don't know if I could just say, hey, here are jobs that people are paying to put on the site. I mean, you'd have to look at doing it where, you know, it's free for the first six months or something like that. And and there are new job boards that pop up almost every week uh, in our industry and that that are potential competitors to us. I mean, it happens all the time when we track these these new entrants. Uh, Many of them do not fare very well. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily because they don't have the audience, because most of them are launching as an appendage to an existing site that does have an audience. Sure. But I think it's, it is it is more difficult nowadays to just say, I'm going to grab this low-hanging fruit called a job board, tack it onto my side, and hope people, that, hope people pay money for me doing that. You think it's gotten more difficult recently? Well, I, I, difficult te- technically, no. It's, it's very easy. Yeah, yeah. But to, to do something long-term, yeah. I, we've seen a lot of new entrants come in, and they might end up with 10 jobs over three months or something like that. And so it seems it's harder to gain traction than, than it might have been three, four, five years ago. Interesting. Do you guys, what, how do you, what do you do that's going to uh, distinguish you from these other people that aside from having a large audience? Is that the main, is that the killer thing is that you have, you've successfully created this market and therefore it's, it's, it's good or are there other things you guys are doing? Well, I don't... I was just about to say, I don't know. I do know. And I know a lot of reasons why, but it's not an exact science. And that's what makes me want to almost say, I don't know, because there are a lot of things that go into it. Um, I think the fact that we've been around for almost eight years now is certainly a big part of it. But I think we have an established brand too, where people look to authentic jobs and they know and trust that they're going to find legitimate opportunities, um, that their friends have found opportunities. And we have a lot of people who found their, their job on, found a job as a candidate on Authentic Jobs, and later over the course of these eight years have now become a hiring manager. And so now they're using the site to find people. And so we've managed to cultivate a community over those eight years of, of people who trust the site, who use it um, when they need a job or when they need to find someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are certainly big parts of it. I think another big part is the fact that we have what we call listing partners like uh, Swiss Miss, uh, Tina Roth-Eisenberg, and uh, Koi Vin, and uh, Jesse Bennett-Chamberlain, a lot of people who post um, a few, feature a few listings on the sidebar on, their, sidebar on their sites, or they tweet about them on Twitter and that kind of thing, and so they help expose the, the business and the job listings through their efforts as well. So again, there's not any one thing that has contrib- contributed to the, the uh, success of Authentic Jobs. I think it's a variety of things. Hmm. Would you say that your prior career as a blogger or you know, your, your history as a blogger was the springboard for this? 
Like, if you were, if you were going to tell me how to found my own job site, would you say start by blogging a lot and developing an audience? Well, I would say write for sure. I mean, people ask me a, ge- a more general question, and that is how how do I make a name for myself? You know, if we could step back from how do I build a job board? To sure, sure. How do I get my product or my my idea or my name out there? Uh, time and time again, my answer is always write. Just write about something that you're passionate about. Write about that thing consistently. And soon enough, whatever it might be that you're desiring, a business, speaking opportunities, book writing, whatever it might be, eventually those those things tend to come. If you stick to it, if you demonstrate that you're able to articulate what's in your head and put it into, you know, meaningful formats, then then those opportunities naturally present themselves. Hmm. Um, you, you touched on speaking just a second ago, and I wanted to talk about uh, your keynote at Future Insights. Yeah. Uh, so you were talking about the patterns of building quality teams. And so it looked like you had gone and done some interviews with people at folks at Twitter or Kickstarter, or maybe they're friends of yours already, um, and had sort of gleaned some commonalities from these, these places. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's just that. There are commonalities, right? I don't think there's any secret to running a successful team. I think it's a matter of understanding that team's specific circumstances in addition to seeing what's happening out among other successful teams. And so I talked to a variety of teams like Twitter and Kickstarter and so forth to see what works for them and then drew on my own experiences and kind of put those together in this nine patterns for great UX teams that seems to be... I guess it was successful not not only as that presentation, but I wrote the same presentation, I guess, in written format on medium.com a little while ago, and that was well-received. So I think there's always an interest in knowing what works well for other teams and mm-hmm. how you can adapt that to your team. So I think, it's, I think it's something that resonates with a lot of people because we all function in teams, whether those teams are one people or 200 people. Sure. Now, now you mentioned this is... Uh patterns of good ux teams but is this really sort of more general team patterns is it a- applicable to a wide variety of teams well some of them are some of them are very specific to ux teams right like prototyping and things like that but uh you know the first two things i mentioned are one that net effect matters most you know focusing not just on the end result of a product but how that product or how that end result changes lives changes patterns of behavior and things like that that's applicable to any team right Mm -hmm. and the second is that hiring matters most right i guess matters second most after net effect and and there again that's something that's general to any team out there and that was taken in fact that idea was taken from a book uh, i think it's called hire with your head by Mm -hmm. lou adler uh, and that was a book written general to all kinds of hiring situations so i'd say about maybe half the the things i mentioned in there are applicable to any team the other half are specific to our industry mm. recommended that book yeah uh i think in that same talk i mentioned at future insights i mentioned i think it's a great book i don't know that i'd say it's a super stellar book only because i felt it could have been maybe half as long mm. and uh, having written a couple books now and knowing how publishers work they still look for that 200 250 page count and so sometimes you have to put filler stuff in there or yeah. repeat things in order to hit that page count uh, I really appreciate what Jeffrey Zeldman and uh, Mark Bolton are doing with these shorter titles. You know, you, you kind of get to the point, and they're able to do that because they don't have to worry about the page count or the spine sitting on a shelf at, at a bookstore, and you see that nice, fat spine. Um, so I, I think that book could have been shorter, but still a great book. Mm. We've been uh, writing our own ebooks recently, and it's, it's very nice to not have that constraint. It's like, we think it should be this long, and therefore it's that long, and we're yeah. done. 
40 pages or if it's 120, whatever it ends up being. Yeah. I mean, that was the approach with my mobile book, right? And that was written, gosh, six years ago now at this point. It was, I think it ended up being 108 pages or something like that. But, you know, I said what I needed to say and didn't put anything else in there that didn't need to go in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I liked in your talk was um, you talked about the value of flow versus the need to stop and talk and think about the work you are doing when you're in flow. And that's interesting because I usually usually only hear it from that one side, which is like you've got to create an environment where people can get in the zone. And I think everyone sort of agrees with that more or less. But then there's, I like this other other side of this, which is there is value in stopping to sort of take stock of things and how things are going. Yeah. And when I talk about stopping and pausing, it's both short-term and well, long term's not the right term, but uh, you know these longer pauses, right, where you might have a hack week or something like that. But then even throughout the day, I intentionally try to pause every couple hours uh, just to get out away from my desk or do something different to shift gears, right? So that's that's a, a more short term kind of pause. But uh, you know, studies have been done that have shown that interruptions for middle to highly creative individuals can actually help with creativity. I, I've never bought into the whole science says this, so if I do that precisely, I will be successful. I mean, yeah. it's easy to get carried away by those kinds of things, but there are legitimate reasons, I think, for um, allowing yourself to be interrupted at times and, and as appropriate. Sounds really weird, doesn't it? I mean, you talk about, I, I, so I'm okay with being interrupted. Well, most people aren't. In fact, I'm one of those people. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about places like Google and Facebook where they have these open floor plan, plans. I believe they do. I've actually not visited either of those places, but I've seen the plans as, as you probably have for Facebook's new headquarters, and it's a very open floor plan. Mm. And they value the, you know, the interaction that comes from those interruptions and bumping into people that you might not work with uh, and, and people being able to interrupt you throughout the day. And so when I show this visually, I show you know, your work day as maybe an eight-hour period yeah. and these, these green bars as being periods of flow where you have, you're getting in the zone and, and you're not interrupted. And then these short red bars as interruptions, right? And, and so you have this nice green period of flow and then you have these red bars of interruptions and you don't get any work done in those periods. Well, good companies uh, like Google and Facebook have found that, that those bars to them, those red bars are actually maybe green bars as well where work still happens as those interruptions happen because work might shift in a different direction. New ideas might come about. And so yeah, I mean, the typical way of looking at it is flow is awesome and getting in the zone is awesome and anything that interrupts that is evil. But I don't know that that's the case anymore. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen both sides of this um, where you're working on something and someone's insight that they give to you through an interruption drastically changes what you're working on or how you're approaching it. Yeah. And like, it, it's interesting, like, I'm not always the biggest fan of the open floor plan, but there have been times like I'm working on something or someone else is working on something and you just overhear the conversation that's happening about it. And you're like, oh, actually, do we even need to do that? Can't we just ignore that for now? Can't we do something way simpler? And I feel like the overall progress is better because of those sort of um, circumstantial things you just happen to hear and jump in on and contribute to. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Chris Coyer and uh, Dave Rupert, you know, their shop talk podcast and they were talking about the fact that most of us have some inclination towards being introverts just because we work in front of a computer all day and we're mm-hmm. not naturally interacting with others unless we are in a big team where interruptions happen throughout the day and so yeah I, most of us are not predisposed to say I'm going to open myself up to being interrupted most of us are I want to focus I've got my headphones on 
and we don't intentionally allow those interruptions to happen where they might do the very thing you're saying, where they might uh, question, do I even need to be working on this? Is there a better way to do it? Hmm. One last thing I, I liked from that talk was the, uh, the quote by Jared Spool, which is, hours of useless meetings could be replaced with just a couple hours of testing to see what users are really doing. I enjoyed that a lot. I wish we did more of that, meaning authentic jobs, but as an industry as well. Why don't we? Yeah. It's, it mean, really is. Most of us have ready access to our users, right. our customers. Yep. Why don't we pull them more? I'm not talking about surveys and things like that, but I'm, I'm talking about getting on the phone sending an email saying, hey, can, you, can we watch you right. just use our site? Can you download this software? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it might be. Uh, my name's escaping me. Silverback or something yep. like that. There we go. And just record, you know, for 10 minutes. That's all I need. Just your interactions with the site. I bet most people would be willing to do that. Why don't we do that yeah. more often? Yeah. I so, mean, it's, it's one thing to have a formal testing lab, and I think that's, that has its place too. But gosh, with everything we have now, all the technology we have now, we're foolish to not take advantage of that. And I'm kind of speaking to myself here. Yeah. And I've been trying actually uh, to make time to do that. I was just sitting down yesterday looking at a few things about uh, reaching out to customers and talking to them about some of the things that we're looking at building, but also some of the, the issues with the current site and some things that can be better. And I'm like, man, I, I'm going to start getting on the phone this week with customers and, and users and, and just saying, hey, tell me how you use the site and can I watch you? And we need to do more of that. I agree. Yeah. So we, we do consulting. And so we're fortunate that we actually have a, a somewhat re- a set schedule of running usability testing. And the email just goes out like, hey, we're doing usability testing on this day. If anybody's interested in it, let us know. And every time I've done this on a project, it's been enlightening. Like, I don't think we've ever had a, a session where it's like, wow, we, we really learned nothing this time. Right. That it's, was useless. Yeah, that was a waste of time. It's almost more like, oh my God, no one can find the whatever button. Yeah. Even though it's huge and green or something like that. You know, and, and I stand on stage and talk about how important this kind of testing is. And, and yet I, I just don't do it enough. I don't think any of us do it nearly to the, the level that we need to be doing it. Mm. All right. Well, that's, that can be your first commandment to the podcast audience. Do more, use, do more user testing and look within yourself as well. Yeah, and I said when I gave that talk that these are nine patterns, and I'm not saying that I'm doing all of them well myself. I'm still working on them and will continue to work on them. Totally. I hope yeah. you will too. Yeah, I, I, I find myself giving talks as well, and I'm like, this, I think this actually is good advice. I don't always do this, but I, I really do think this actually is best. And if you don't go do it, I'm going to do it because I know I need to work on it. Right, yeah. I think it's good to be honest about that. You don't always follow your own advice, even though you think it might be good. Yeah. Um, so you also uh, have been hosting a podcast called Hired. And your description yeah, of that. So a trying pod- to figure that I, I'm, I'm pausing there because oh. uh, you're much more experienced than I at this. And, and I'm 10 episodes in, I think, at this point, nine episodes. And you're at episode 633 or something like that. Uh, 55 today. 55. Yeah, that's great. And you got a whole crew to, to help you there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been fun trying to figure out how to do that, how to get things set up technically, but then trying to schedule hosts and then actually doing the recording and things like that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like being on the other end of the mic answering questions versus asking questions you know when when you're asking questions as the host you don't talk nearly as much right but you have to be on your toes and and you know there are great people out there like charlie rose whom i admire greatly for his ability to do an awesome interview Mm -hmm. he did one with john donahoe recently that i I mentioned in another 
presentation recently and, and just rocked it. I mean, it was just amazing to watch this guy operate in that interview, how he kept John Donahoe, this, the CEO of eBay on his toes for 30 minutes hmm. with questions and redirecting the conversation and so on and so forth. So I don't know. It's been a, it's been a real learning experience how to run a podcast versus just turning on the mic and answering questions. Mm, we'll have to see if we can get a link to that uh, interview in our, yeah, our show notes. I want to watch it. So all right, here's an oddball question for you. So let's imagine that you were going to uh, step back from authentic jobs and you need to put a replacement uh, into your, your former position. So I'm going to give you a sort of a one-page, you get to write a one-page document for them and to sort of give them the instruction they need to do this well. Oh, Ooh. wow. What would you put I'm- on there? All right, so uh, someone's going to come in and replace me. Mm-hmm. Going to take over for Cameron running authentic jobs. That's right. Don't screw it up. <laughs> How about that? That's number one. <laughs> That's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think probably the real number one would be stay true to that adjective that has been a very core part of who I am over the years, and that is to be authentic. Uh, you know, it's in the authentic jobs name. My site, my blog originally was authentic boredom. My Flickr username still today is, is authentic only because I can't change it to Cameron Mall. Um, <laughs> but that was very much a, a core part of, of who I was back then and still who I am today. And that is be true to yourself. Be real. Um, don't do any of that fishy, foolish marketing stuff. I, I graduated with a, a degree in marketing, and so I can say that. Um, but I love that, that we try to be as transparent as possible to our, our peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not talking transparent in terms of of stats and numbers and things like that necessarily, but in that we want to attract great opportunities and and we'll call out opportunities that we see on the site that we don't think are a fit or that we think might be a little fishy uh, to, to keep legitimate opportunities on the side. And so I think that, that, that advice applies to more than just running a, a job board. I mean, it applies to so many things I found time and time again, that when I try to imitate other speakers and their styles, for example, that yeah. it, it might work well one or two times, but over the long term, it doesn't work out that well. Mm-hmm. I like to learn maybe techniques that they use to present well. But ultimately, I've got to present the way that works best for me and, and how I feel comfortable. And I might not be the funniest guy on stage or things like that, but once I find what works well for me, it, it comes off, I hope, well for the audience. Totally. So I think that applies to running a business. Uh, speaking and you name it. So that would be number one in that, in that hypothetical, uh, what would that be called? Job interview requisite or something like that? It's interesting that you say that. I, I, I experienced the same thing myself. Um, I I think people have extremely sensitive BS meters. Like they're, they're very, very good at, at telling when you're not quite being yourself. Yeah. And so I think it's actually, and most people aren't themselves, especially when speaking, like they're, they've put on a bit of a persona f- for the speaking engagement um, or, in, or to run a business and to present a certain face that they want people to see. And I think it's really p- a powerful effect when you stand on stage or you uh, act as a business person with complete authenticity. And people can really feel that, that you, this, is really, this is who this person is and this is what they believe and they're not holding back and they admit when they're wrong and they admit when they don't understand. And I, I think it really speaks to people. Well, I think part of that, too, is when you stand on stage and say, I screwed up or I would have done this differently and things like that, people can't argue with that. I mean, it, it, it is your learning. It's your experience. Yep. And they can't walk away from that saying, oh, yeah, well, I, I, I wouldn't buy that for a second. I mean, I screwed up. I, I would have done this differently or things like that. And it is what it is. And so 
people generally like to see that. Uh, we interviewed Jason Fried just a few podcasts uh, ago for Hired, and, and he talked about the fact that while we appreciate that in the industry, he thinks it's, it's also good to kind of move beyond just talking about mistakes and things like that. So I think there's value in also saying, let's move forward and not look backward too much. Hmm. But, uh, you know, just using that as an example for the for the sake of what we're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, when you say I, I screwed up, people can't really argue with that and say, well, I would have written that code differently. Right. I mean, it's it's it is your experience. Um, with authentic jobs, for example, we have a money back guarantee and, and we're very honest with that too. We say, you know what? Our site doesn't always work out for everyone. That's why we've got this in place. So if it doesn't work out, we don't want your money. We'd rather have you take that money and try it somewhere else. Most cases when they try it somewhere else, meaning with some of the competitors that we compete against, uh, they don't tend to have any better success, but we at least offer that option to them for those who, who want that money back and, and put that money, who would like to put that money somewhere else. Sure. Okay. Anything else on this uh, one-page cheat sheet? Well, I mean, I've left all the details out of, about sure. uh, being a podcast host and, and having to deal with customer support and payroll and uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I think people can figure those things out, right? It's It's the harder things of how do you be authentic to who you are? How do you create a brand that that really helps people improve their circumstances in terms of jobs? Mm. If you, if you have that already, then the other things will fall into place. Mm. So you've, you've been a, a podcast guest a number of times. Uh, what question do you wish people would ask you that they don't? That, what I just explained, where did the term authentic come from? Nobody's ever asked me that question. Huh. I, I'm, I'm surprised uh, yeah. uh, because I've used that as kind of a personal brand of sorts over the course of now 14 years in my career. Not once have people asked me that question. I just described, uh, I guess, the answer to it. Yeah. What other questions uh, do I think people sh- or would I like people to ask? Well, I appreciate that they ask about my history and how I got to where I am. I appreciate that they ask what I do, you know, as you asked on a day-to-day basis and my thoughts about the industry and, and things like that. Um, I kind of wish sometimes we had more conversational podcasts that that didn't just stray off into who knows what about uh, preferences around movies and things like that but somehow got to the core of who is this guy what was what is it about his his time outside of work or his upbringing that has led to where he is today or or that Mm. has uh, affected what he's doing on a day-to-day basis and maybe that's the question of how has your background prepared you for for what you're doing today which is a question we ask on on hired for example Mm. um i don't know i've been asked some wonderful questions you've already drilled me with some excellent questions in, in this recording so far i don't know that i i would suggest any different things to be asked other than what I've said. I, I appreciate it when, when hosts ask, I guess when hosts are true to themselves and ask questions that they think will resonate with their audience and for their show. Hmm. How would you answer that question that you just put out there about how your background has enabled you to do what you do? Yeah, I, I think I had wonderful parents who created opportunities for, for things to happen for me. Um, you know, I'm thinking about this a lot right now with my own sons. I have four sons and they're ages eight to 12. And Sons can be pretty messy um, in terms of, of the, the literal messes that they leave around the house. Yep. I have a lot of tools and uh, glue and tape and things like that in my garage. I'm doing woodworking stuff on, on a continual basis. And I also still today, I started when I was 11, still today build and fly radio control airplanes. Huh. So I've got a lot of specialized glues sitting. You know, these are tiny bottles of glue that run eight, ten bucks a bottle. 
And uh, my sons love to get into all these things, these tools and these glues and this tape and so on and so forth. And uh, I'm looking back now to all the periods that my father, who also had a similar setup when I was growing up, how patient he was at times with me getting into his tools, leaving them around the house. And, and that's really made me think how important it is, is it really, when it comes down to it, how important is it for my workshop to be organized and my glue to be fully stocked versus letting them play around with those things and experiment and make messes and, and run the glue bottle dry and all of these things. And, and, and I had parents, thankfully, that allowed me to do that. Sure, at times they got frustrated with the messes I left and the fact that I would ruin tools or things like that. But at mm. the same time, they allowed me to make mistakes and mess up and, and, and experiment. And I think I am who I am today because of that, because of the time spent woodworking and, and working on go-karts and things like that, where now I can say, well, I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm working with my hands. It's not glue and it's not metal and wood anymore. It's now pixels and vectors and, and copy and things like that. But you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's synthesizing and composing stuff from, from goods, whether they be virtual or actual goods. Mm. Hmm. What do Man, you work? That was, that was like a soapbox. <laughs> I don't. It wasn't a rant, but it was like. Uh, well, it makes sense. Here's you, my life story in a nutshell. Well, it makes sense because you picked the question, so you had a lot to say on it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, what do you worry about? I worry about my business being there tomorrow. Yeah. I think every business owner, at some point, or maybe on a continual basis, worries about that. Mm. Um, you know, we are a small business, and and and. I still lose a lot of sleep wondering, are we going to be around next month, next year, that kind of thing. Is there a point you could reach where you feel like you would stop worrying about that? Yeah, maybe if uh, it weren't providing for my livelihood and mm. it were a, a nice side benefit or something like that, a side project. Yeah. You know, it, it started out as a side project, right? So for the first uh, about four and a half years, I ran it as a, hey, this is this is running well. And if it continues to go well, awesome. If if it dies tomorrow, who cares? I mean, it was a fun experiment and, and I made a little money on the side. Mm-hmm. Now it's a full-time gig and it's gone from, hey, if this dies, that's awesome to, hey, if this dies, I'm going to have to find something else to do. Yeah. And that'd be annoying. Uh, maybe. <laughs> or amazing. Or, or Or amazing, right? And who knows what would come of that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I need to stop worrying about that very thing for what you just said, and that is, who really cares? Honestly, who cares if tomorrow Authentic Jobs disappears, as far as I'm concerned? I'm not talking about the people that are using it and the people that have found work. I care very much about that. But for me personally, what would be wrong with it disappearing tomorrow Mm -hmm. and being forced to look at something else, doing something else, or even relocating uh, my family? I'm okay with that. My career has been built on responding to things that have been thrown at me. And I think that's the case for many of us. Uh, mm-hmm. I should be okay with that. Yeah. A little entropy can be a good thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe launch uh, authentic model airplanes. Oh, there you go. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I could spend, you know, what? that would turn into something I'd have to do then for work. Versus exactly. I love doing this and, and maybe I wouldn't love that. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I'm scared of, mm-hmm. the, uh, the guys that are coming up behind us that are starting at age eight and 10 and 11 year olds and doing amazing things. I mean, you had a guy on just recently, uh, what's his name? Jack Kaufman. Yep. Um, 17 year old writing a book and, and doing these interviews with amazing people. Those, those people scare me. I'm yeah. like, I'm 37. If a 12 and 17 year old or, and whatever teenager can be doing amazing stuff like that, uh, I better be on my toes or I've got guys right behind me happy to take my spot. That, that, 
that uh, you know fake job resume opening thingy that we just talked about could become a reality if I don't keep my my A game. Totally. Yeah, I feel like there's almost a particular pressure in our industry uh, where it seems to be not dominated, but there's a lot of youth in our industry, and it seems like there's, a, there's you definitely run into a bit of ageism as you get there. Probably not as much of you as a business owner, but like for me, like interviewing for a job ten years from now will be a different thing for me than when I was 22. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel the same pressure of like, I'm gonna have to make sure I just stay awesome. Cause sometimes now suddenly I'm the oldest person on certain teams that I'm on. Right. And I'm like, this is weird. And so I got to make sure I'm not the old guy that sucks. I am hitting that age myself. Somewhere around 35, 36, I, I started realizing, boy, I'm, I'm kind of the old guy in the room now. This is, this is not cool anymore. Yep. So you gotta be the, uh, the awesome old guy. Oh, something like that. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, I think it's just the accessibility of our industry in that you can have access to all of the tools and, and practice the art at a very young age. You couldn't become a doctor at age eight right now, for right, example. Right, right. Some people point. have, but I mean, most people are not going to do that, right? But in our industry, it's very possible to be building websites and starting a business and selling your first business at age 11. So true. So uh, I asked you, when you when, what do you worry about? When are you happiest? Oh... When am I happiest? Um, you know, the, the obvious corny answer is, is when I, I'm able to focus on my family. I mean, that, that is top priority for me. And being able to run a business that allows me to have freedom to do that, uh, to be able to travel, speak at conferences, and sometimes take my family with me, mm-hmm. uh, that, that brings me just an incredible amount of joy. I'm, I'm, as far as work is concerned, I'm, I'm most happy, I think, when I get to see people that whole net effect thing, I get to talk to people at conferences who come up to me and say, hey, Cameron, I found my last job on Authentic Jobs. Just wanted to say thank you. I mean, that's, that's amazing to, mm. to think that what I'm doing is positively impacting and changing lives. I was uh, in Ethiopia last year with Charity Waters, you might know, and, and had a great time there and, and was with Scott Harrison, the founder. And there was one day we were just sitting around and I was, I was thinking, man, why do I not just drop everything I'm doing with Authentic Jobs and go help these guys with clean water? I mean, isn't that far more important than what I'm doing? Mm. And in a real sense, it is. But at the same time, I realized, one, we can't all do that. And two, I'm still doing a, a very good thing where I'm helping people improve their circumstances uh, find a job that they might be happier with, uh, increase their pay, move to a location that they might enjoy more, or things like that. And so I, I still very much see running authentic jobs as being a, a small way of impacting the world in a, in a good way. And so that brings, gosh, that brings a ton of joy to me to, to think of me playing a role in making that happen. Mm. Good stuff. I, you know, and here's the other thing. I'll, I'll say this too. Some people might be listening to this and thinking, oh, well, gosh, I've got to go help with clean water or I've got to run a job board that that changes lives. You don't. I mean, I chatted again with Jason Fried a few weeks ago, and he said the same thing, that uh, he tries to get involved in charitable organizations and and does some efforts there. But at the same time, running base camp is, is a pretty incredible thing. I mean, think of how many projects have been facilitated through base camp. Just this morning, my family and I were chatting through base camp on a project that we're working on to help type one diabetics. One of my sons is, is a type one. And, and here this, this tool called Basecamp is helping us to do that. And so mm-hmm. think of all the things that listeners might be working on and the ways that it's impacting the world. We don't all have to drop what we're doing and run off and, and, and save the world through clean water. I think we just need to keep doing what we're doing. If, if what we're doing is a good thing and uh, the world becomes a better place. Hmm. I can live with that. So, um, I have a couple designy questions for you. So, how do you feel about the sort of design trend towards uh, 
what I've seen quoted as digital honesty, like flat design and moving away from physical metaphors and all that. Yeah, so I expected that question. Yeah. Was it was going to be asked. Yeah. Uh, I have not prepared an answer for it, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good. This will be authentic. Yeah, exactly. And this will be the real Cameron speaking. I better be careful. About if you what screw I it say. up, we'll cut it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to tread carefully here. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've been around long enough to see trends come and go, right? And I've been involved in, in propagating trends myself, right? The whole Wicked Warren look back in, in the 2004, 2005 era of my history and, and mm. talking about grunge, that, that worn distress look. So I've, I've been a culprit of, of saying, this is awesome and you all need to be doing this. I think we're in that same period where we're looking at flat design and saying, this is awesome and we all need to be doing that, this. And, and there's a pressure to do it. And it's almost like if you don't follow trend, you won't get the tweets. You won't get the traffic and things like that. Mm. Whereas all you have to do is make something flat and responsive and boom, all of a sudden traffic comes out of nowhere. I think as an industry, we, we unfairly give credit to and, and exposure to people who hop on the bandwagon early. Uh, versus people who do things because they need to be done that way because of their circumstances, their project, their users, and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how iOS 7 plays out. I actually like a lot of the changes that they've made in iOS 7. Um, I'd like to see how it plays out once we get it into the hands of, of real users, notably mm-hmm. those who are not as experienced with uh, digital interfaces, and, and see if it is indeed a, a better way of doing things. Um, so I, I, I like the fact that, that things are trending in a more authentic aesthetic. Um, but at the same time, I worry we're all moving in that direction just because there's so much banter and chatter around that movement that we feel compelled to dive in and and that we have to do it without thinking about why. Yeah. There's, I I see a bit of this in, in the Ruby community as well, which is there's definitely people are a little obsessed with newness. And I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, but it's, it's like, well, we, we've been using this thing for a long time, a long time being 18 months. So we got to find something new and cool and better. And then if you don't jump on that bandwagon, then you're not in the cool club. You don't know what's going on and you're out yeah. of touch. And it's like, is, our, does that, is the virtue of that thing, does it go beyond just its newness? Is, there, is this actually a better thing or is it just kind of new and fun because it's not as boring as the old thing? Brian, so what's your take? On flat design? Yeah. Oh man, am I the wrong person to ask about that? No, go for it. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm not totally sold on it. I, like I said, I think it's, I think it is partly, um, I think it's similar to that sort of new for the sake of new. I think you're going to see, particularly in the world of aesthetics, people get bored with how things have look now because they've looked like that for a while. And when something new comes along, it's exciting and it's like, wow, that's refreshing to see a new take on that. And so it gets a lot of support. And maybe not because of its own strengths. Yeah. Well, not to toot my own horn here, but but I wrote something years ago that that I I think still stands today, and that is uh, that a list apart article. What was it called? Good designers redesign, great designers realign, and it was this idea of redesigning for the sake of of something new and fresh versus realigning for the sake of improving business, mm. um, maybe reaching out in new ways to your customers and things like that, and so. I, I think it's okay to look at aesthetics and say that that looks fresh and shiny and new and let's go do that. But yeah. I think if we do that in the absence of saying, is this going to help our business? I, I don't see the point in it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, I think that's about all I have for you, Cameron. Uh, but thanks for being on the podcast. It was really nice talking to you. 
Oh, I don't get to ask you questions? Oh, you can if you want. What do you oh. got? <laughs> I don't have any prepared. Uh, um, okay, let me come up with one off the top of my head, though. I think it's, it's fair that I ask you a question. Okay. In the last 90 days, what's the most significant thing you've done? Most significant thing I've done? Um, I would say I gave a talk at RailsConf um, a couple months ago that I think is maybe the best talk I've put together yet. Uh, in terms of response and the way it felt and all of that. And like, I was high after giving that talk for like a couple weeks. Um, and it, it, it ended with like me conducting 600 or so developers in song standing on a chair and like, it like, just, like music, like singing, like or musically. Yeah. No way. Yeah. So it was a talk on giving talks, um, about how to give good t- talks well, but I really didn't want to just stand up there and like lecture for 40 minutes about you should do this and don't do this. And so instead, I gave a series of lightning talks. Um, so I think I gave four distinct lightning, lightning talks with sort of different strategies. And so I give a lightning talk and then talk about what I had done in that talk and how, what people could steal. Um, and the final lightning talk was, um, I'm going to teach you how to sing happy birthday 300% better. And so we started off with a baseline, and we all sang happy birthday for this one person. And then I said, okay, let me teach you the rudiments of singing. And I, went, I did like a sort of three-minute demonstration and, and sort of uh, some exercises with the crowd on how to sing better. And then we gave one final, everybody stand up and sing happy birthday with all these new techniques. And it was like a million percent better. And that was the end of the talk. And it was just like this amazing moment with like 500 people who had stood up and were singing and like loudly and lustily. And like just the talk had gone so well. And it was just, it, it was really an amazing amazing moment for me wow that sounds amazing did they record it yeah it's recorded it's, it's out there somewhere we can link to it in the show notes oh that'd be great it's called so you're a singer then uh yeah my my side thing is uh i sing so i sing in a barbershop quartet and i'm the assistant director of a chorus a 60-man chorus outside of boston man that's great have you chatted with dan benjamin or excuse me dan uh, rubin uh no is he a singer he's, as well uh, he's in a quartet as well from oh, what i understand okay or a quintet or something like that i can't remember sounds like a future podcast guest there you go Oh, he'd make a great guest, actually, yeah. And you guys would have to sing on the show, though. That's the only way I'd allow Ooh, that to happen. Okay. A little duet via Something Skype. Something like that, yeah. Hopefully the time delay won't kill us. But yeah, that'd, that'd be <laughs> that kind of awesome. That would be awesome. A little echo reverb, right? Why not? Sure. Cool. Uh, good question. I like it. That was fun to sort of relive that moment. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you, what is a good way to do that? Uh, Cameron Mall on Twitter, CameronMall.com, or of course, Authentic Jobs, both on Twitter and the website. Okay. Uh, if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcasts slash 55. Today's podcast was recorded by Mike Manor, edited by Igor Stolarski, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Cameron, for coming by. Yeah, you bet.